The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome once again to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. And on this week's episode, we are looking at a Clash of the Champions event. Our first one since starting with the original episode of Monday Nitro. And we go into 1996 and we have this event here. So I'm going to dive in in a moment. But before we do, we need to say hello to the more talented, more knowledgeable, more excitable, it seems, on this occasion, half of our hosting duo, Scottish Danny. How are you doing, my friend? Hello, sir. I'm really well. Thank you very much. How's yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Now, we've kind of dived straight into the recording today rather than having too much of a chat beforehand, um, which is unusual for us. Normally, we have a bit of a chat and then we start recording. But you basically put forward an opinion on this show that I find quite different to my thoughts. So I thought, before we get into anything too much, we'll hit the little red button and we'll just get off. The reason I said that you're quite excitable is because initial thoughts, Clash of the Champions 32 here uh, from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, January 23rd, 1996. You say you enjoyed this show. Yes, I did. Uh, there was a lot. I mean, we'll get into it as we're, we're going along. But overall, I really enjoyed this. There was a lot of good uh, on here. And you didn't, so. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. We've got the next hour and a bit between you and me for you to convince me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be open-minded. Let's see where we go. But yeah, my initial thoughts as I turn off the WWE Network, come upstairs, put my headset on to, to, to talk with you now, are not great. Wow, I can see why. <laughs> mm, yes, okay. So then, shall we get on? Shall we start? The show begins with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan on commentary. It's good to see Tony there. I'm a big fan of Tony Schiavone. And Mean Gene is at a little white chapel. But that's not me describing where he is. That's literally the name of the place, a little white chapel, because on this show, we have the wedding of Colonel Parker and 
Sister Sherry, don't we? Which is a running theme throughout the episode of Clash of the Champions here. Now, I'm not a big fan of lots of, of, lots of this sort of thing in wrestling, this kind of uh, so- soap opera effort, I guess. But on the other side of the coin, when it's done well, I think it can be quite amusing. I mean, the, 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 the Billy and Chuck wedding, for example, on, was it an episode of SmackDown, Danny? Yep, it was, yeah, 2002. Yes, with um, Eric Bischoff as the old man and the makeup and so on. That was fantastic. Triple H, Stephanie McMahon's wedding, where he basically exposes her for all sorts of stuff. Again, as an episode of SmackDown, I believe. That was quite memorable as well. This, I'm not a fan of, my friend. I can see why, but I, on the other hand, really enjoyed this because I liked that it was a running theme, as you said, all throughout the night. Um, yeah, and we got a lot of people, to be honest, we got a lot of people exposed during this um, wedding as well, which was always a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. Um, our first match, though, is a tag match, and we have two teams that I don't think we've seen a lot of. One is relatively new to WCW, and the other has been around a little while, but in our watchback, we haven't seen much of them. Uh, and that is the contest between Public Enemy and the Nasty Boys. It seems at the beginning that the crowd are quite into the Nasty Boys and they're booing Public Enemy. But then they tend to turn quite quickly and boo the Nasty Boys quite a bit as well. But this doesn't really... It doesn't really ever get going as as a match, I suppose, does it? Because it's just a bit of a brawl. Everyone's fighting inside the ring, outside the ring. A table gets involved very quickly. And it basically ends up being a no contest, doesn't it? But I suppose it helps in the way that Public Enemy, again, the whole table spot thing is pushed quite heavily with them. And the fact that they're looking like crazy brawlers alongside the Nasty Boys helps sort of get them over i suppose get more wcw fans eyes on the tag team of public enemy uh what did you think of this as an opener itself the the action that we saw and so on danny i actually really enjoyed this this was as you said a fun brawl um uh no one was expecting the 17 star classic were they when they (laughs) when they switched this match on but um i really enjoyed this there was a lot of action i think the only thing i didn't like was that the nasty boys were the ones to get the tables into the match when everyone knows that that was uh, Public Enemy's gimmick. Yes, but we do see a moonsault by Rocco Rock in the match, which was quite impressive. A pile driver by Sags as well, which is quite cool. And then another moonsault that sends Brian Nobbs through the table, sort of. It doesn't fully break, but it, to me it looked, it still looked really effective with how the table didn't fully break. And then we're brawling afterwards and they're using bits of the table to hit each other with and so on. I-, I thought as an opener, okay, there's no winner. It's a bit of a mess. It's a bit a bit all over the place. But at the same time, I found it quite exciting. It, it was it was a it was a nice change of pace, I think. Yeah, that's um how I saw it as well. It was like I meant I did write down a question here for you, Si. Would you say the nasty boys were still in their prime at this point? No. No, no, no. No, I don't think so. I mean uh, it's tricky for me, I suppose. Maybe I'm looking at it from a sort of nostalgia or, or, or potentially with biased eyes. I don't know. But I can remember the Nasty Boys being WWF Tag Team Champions in 91. Uh, I think they beat the Heart Foundation, I think, at WrestleMania 7, I want to say, I think. Um, in my mind, that 
is kind of the, the peak for the Nasty Boys with regards to mainstream wrestling companies, I guess. This is only five years after, granted, but they went to WCW a little while before this, and they were having pretty wild brawls with the likes of Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan and so on. And those were quite dramatic as well. But here, I, I just think that the gimmick is a bit tired by 1996. I mean, very, very soon we're getting the NWO, of course. And then on the other channel, uh, it's not going to be long before we start seeing the likes of Shawn Michaels having a bit of attitude and Steve Austin and so on. We're, we're very, very close to the cusp of all that happening. The Nasty Boys just scream, you know, the past to me here in 96. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. The complete sense. It was, But this was kind of like a... Um... In that case, I would say that this was like sort of the Nasty Boys had been tasked to put the public enemy over. Would you say that? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Potentially. I mean, ultimately, I, I think we come away from this match looking at public enemy in a positive light because that they've they've come out first. Well, not first because there was a dark match on the show, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. But they come out uh, first on the television show. They are not small guys. I mean, they're not giants by any stretch of the imagination, but they're, they're not, they're not cruiserweights and we're seeing a moonsault and then we're seeing the chair, that's why the table spots and so on. And it, and it is chaotic. It is, it is just bedlam all over the place in this opener. I have the feeling now of, okay, I want to see a bit more of this tag team. So from that aspect, it's done its job because public enemy are new to the company and it's making me think I want to see more of them. So f- from that viewpoint, yeah, Okay, it's worked that way. And on the other side of the coin, there is no clear winner here. So there's an excuse or a reason for a rematch. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I guess that works on all levels for me, Danny. Yeah, same. And uh, I hope we do get to see more of these um, this this uh, feud because it would be interesting to see how they, if any team would put each other over. Yeah, I, I think as well that they need... They need a certain environment to work well. I don't think you could have Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys in a straight tag match and expect it to be, well, as you said, a, a classic full of stars. But in a no DQ kind of effort or a street fight kind of style match where they can use weapons and so on, and there's no tagging in and out, and it does really play to Public Enemy's strengths as well. I think we could get a really entertaining chaotic contest from from these four guys yeah well said mate well said thank you very much (laughs) we then get told our next match is going to be alex wright versus dean malenko but before we get there we have a few adverts and this was odd to me because we've been watching nitro and so on and we've had the, the the obvious moments where they've gone to an advert and come back here, the adverts are still on the network. For half a second, I thought I was watching this on Daily Motion. Still, yeah, it's so strange. I mean, we get ads for uh, Slick Fifty, which is like a, a, a motor oil, I believe. Uh, Tootsie Rolls, and then the Karate Fighters game as well. And I was like, "This is brilliant!" I, 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 nowadays, I will skip the adverts if possible on anything I watch because adverts do my head in, especially that bloody Super Noodle advert with the donkey. Oh, God, he pisses me off. But here, because it's so retro, and obviously it's the United States as well, so we, we wouldn't have seen all these. Uh, I quite liked 
you know, the option of having being able to see these adverts, Donny. Yeah, same here. I was going to mention that at the opening of the show. Did you notice the quality of audio had um, was not up to par, in my opinion? What did you think? Yeah, it's something that we've kind of got to get used to with WCW. It's something that you'll find the more we watch, it does. it's not a one-off, let's put it that way, because it seems like they can never quite get it right. So ring entrances are a good example we, we can have there's there's various different factors going on there we have the entrance music of course that you want to be able to hear because that's the purpose of the entrance music the crowd reaction you need to be able to hear that as well as the entrance music and then the ring announcer of course to tell you who this guy is and, and so on and so forth now wcw is a real bad habit and not never getting that balance right WWE, fantastic. The music hits, you hear the crowd pop, the ring announcer over the top, you can still hear it all, you know, separately, all, all in there. WCW never quite got it right. Sometimes the music was so loud you couldn't hear the crowd. Sometimes the crowd was so loud it was like they weren't playing any music. Sometimes you couldn't hear the ring announcer. Or sometimes all you could hear was the ring announcer. And then, inevitably, on certain occasions, you get the commentators talking over the top of it anyway. So that yeah. tens of thousands of dollars that they pay Michael Buffer becomes irrelevant because Tony Schiavone is japping over the top of him all the time. But it's it's something that as we go on, Danny, and as we watch more, you'll notice that there are audio problems on a on a I wouldn't say regular basis, but it does rear its head quite often with WCW. That's cool. I, n- I now know to expect it now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, after an advert for the pay-per-view Super Bowl coming up in February, so only literally a, a couple of weeks away from where we are in January, I suppose, in mid-January here, we get actual wrestling because our first contest was a bit of a brawl. We've had a load of ads and so on. We've had a load of nonsense at the chapel already. But here we get wrestling and we have Alex Wright and Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko is working Alex Wright's leg a great deal. Uh, and to me, this is this is good. I enjoyed this match. I mean, talk us through it, Danny. What are your thoughts? Yep, there's a lot of great chain wrestling in this. Um, what I liked about it is that they showed a clip from Saturday night where um, Dean Malenko was trying to injure Alex Wright's leg. But one thing I did notice about this, not one mention of um, their previous matches on Nitro was mentioned. So um, I think they were just going for, for the most recent um, encounter that they had. And yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, I did too. I did too. It, it, it's my kind of wrestling. And Dean Malenko, I'm a huge fan of. I, the guy is just absolutely superb. He is. I mean, he always has been, to be honest with you. And like to match up against Alex Wright, two great parents here. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, again, Malenko, he's, he's a master technician, isn't he? And, and he's, he's working the knee. We see the Texas Cloverleaf at one point. I, I just think the guy is absolutely superb. The, the nickname of... Man of a thousand holes is is so fitting for this guy. I, I think that. I mean, one of two things. If he had one or two things, it could have been slightly different. If he was a smidge taller, or if he had a little, little bit more of a personality, he could have been. I'm not saying on Bret Hart's level, but someone up there in that similar sort of style, uh, and so on. But because he is of smaller stature. And he's not renowned for being good on the microphone or anything like that. It's almost like he's a cruiserweight that doesn't wrestle the sort of high-flying cruiserweight style, which does work. But later on in WCW, when you see Rey Mysterio and all these guys come in, they're flying all over the place. 
Malenko is a fantastic cruiserweight champion, but we don't really... I don't know. I, I can't quite find the words to, to explain what I'm trying to get at, but it's almost like there's always just one little thing missing from Dean Malenko for him to really achieve what I think he should have done with the ability he had. Yeah, I completely understand your size. Like, um, when he went to WWF, he kind of stood out more there. It was like they just had him on heat and things like that. But, like, he he was tremendous in the ring. I mean, he was so good. But, as you said, he was just missing that couple few things. And then he could have been a megastar. It's ironic, I think, that he's now working for AEW. Because if AEW was around a bit earlier, Malenko, I think, could have been an absolute megastar. You know, and and in Japan. I mean, Milenko did work in Japan, but now we're getting more, I suppose, more access to Japanese wrestling over here and in the States and so on with the likes of New Japan World and all these other streaming devices where you can get different Japanese promotions. I think Milenko would have been an absolute megastar if you had that kind of access to the Japanese side of things and a company like AEW for him to work in. I think he would have been huge. Big time. I fully agree. I mean, I just watched a match not that long ago. Um, him and his brother faced off against the British Bulldogs, and it was absolutely brilliant. It was from, I think, the mid-80s. Yeah, I mean, that's great era for tag wrestling as well, isn't it? The mid, mid to late 80s, absolutely superb. Uh, talk us through the finish of this one, though, Danny. We have Malenko and uh, Alex Wright, of course. Malenko looking for submissions and so on. But that's not how he secures victory, is it? No, he secures victory by completely, as you said, working on the leg. And then he goes for a sunset roll-up and gets the actual one, two, three, which I was surprised about because I thought Alex was going to kick out of this. But yeah, it's quite a relatively short match. What I mean, did you uh, was you shocked at the time, sir? Um, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, ultimately, this this show, it, it was what's it clocking at? About an hour and forty minutes, I think it said on the network, didn't it? Yeah, an so, hour and forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it's. It's longer than the nitros we're watching at the moment. Obviously, it's not as long as a pay per view. Again, obviously, I'm stating I'm stating the bleeding obvious here, of course. But they, it feels like there was so much on this show that rambled on or didn't need to be there or seemed to. I mean, we'll come to it in a moment. I mean, first of all, we've got. Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, is supposed to be wrestling Disco Inferno. Disco Inferno has forfeited his match because he wants to go to the wedding. So the Taskmaster basically beats up a Elvis impersonator instead, uh, and so on. And then we got a few other bits which we'll come back to. But before our actual next match, we have an interview with Paul Orndorff. Now, this seemed to go on for ages, and I don't think it needed to. No, I completely see your ta- your your point on the time. I mean, um, it was very real. Um, it looked like it'd been filmed in his back garden, didn't it? Yes, it did. It did. <laughs> but again, I, I don't think... Obviously, Orndorff's been out injured because of the attack from the Four Horsemen. So he, he's got certain points he needs to get across because he's making his return soon and all this sort of stuff. Of course, he's, he's trying to advance storylines or even just a show of his face to say, remember me kind of effort, I guess. However, it does seem to go on longer than necessary. And that's kind of my point. You've got Alex Wright versus Dimalenko, which is a good contest. I was enjoying it, but it ends abruptly. And then you've got this a few moments later and all the wedding stuff as well. That just seems to... It seems to be more important in the mind of the people putting the show together. 
with regards to how they allocate the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can fully see that as well. It was like they treated this more like a television show than an actual wrestling pay-per-view. Mm, which which is what it was. I mean, it, it was yeah. a TV show, it wasn't a pay-per-view. So I understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, after we've seen the Taskmaster beat up uh, an Alvis impersonator, because, you know, why not? Just, just <laughs> on that, just so turned to obvious, it was like, was, is Kevin Sullivan now a baby face? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> why, don't you like Alvis? <laughs> no, it seemed like he was getting booed, um, the Alvis impersonator, and Sullivan was getting cheered when he was just waffling him. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps that's you know the easiest way of getting Sullivan over. As a baby face, just having beat up an Alvis impersonator every week on Nitro. Yeah. Hundreds, 176 of those unbeaten streak. World title match signed. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Now, now, from this moment on, I'm going to look at the Taskmaster as a baby face. 100%. <laughs> oh, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Uh, mean Gene Oakland is still at the Little Chapel. And here is Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. And it's a lot of bad acting and rambling and, and a lot of shouting as well. Everyone seems to be shouting a lot and it's not necessary to be shouting. There's a microphone there. Just have a conversation. It got, I understand this is, this is pro wrestling and a lot of people do shout. I understand also bunkhouse back, dirty dicks later, very old school in their methods. So the further back you go, the more shouty it tends to get, especially into the eighties. But it's not really necessary, is it, when you're stood at, in the car park of a wedding chapel, Danny? I have a feeling that was not the only wedding that has a lot of shouting involved in that particular chapel. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, we have Eric Bischoff now, who, in a, in a slightly different role than normal, I mean, obviously on, on Nitro, he's our main commentator. Here, he's almost in, I suppose, the mean Gene Oakland role of Nitro interviewing people on the ramp as they you know they either come out especially or he tries to catch them after their matches and so on and eric bischoff here with sting and luger and this was quite interesting they're talking about being the tag champions and so on and then the road warriors come out now the crowd react but you can't see what's going on because wcw are i don't know the, the WWE, everyone's trained in a certain way, aren't they? You, you you know where the hard cam is. When you're doing interviews, you look in a certain way. Even to the point where there's jokes of people watching TV sideways on in the WWE because of where the camera is. WCW seems to be a little bit more, shall we say, relaxed with that kind of attitude <laughs> because everyone's back is to us, Danny. Yeah, I noticed that. I mean, I thought Sting was just trying to show off his jacket, which was brilliant, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and Lex Luger was just trying to show off his back muscles. But um, no, I completely see your point. It was like it was like they're not showing their uh, personality. They're just getting the interview over with it, almost like. Mm. Yeah. So we don't we don't instantly see the Road Warriors, but we know there's a reaction. Well, we hear a reaction from the crowds. We know something has happened. The Road Warriors won a title shot. Uh, Sting seems all about you know fighting champion and and so on. Luger, not so much. No, he wasn't. But I did write down in the notes. Lex was kind of being a dick here because um, Sting was actually overjoyed to see the Road Warriors back, and Lex was kind of like, "Oh no, these guys will smash us!" So I've got a delay. So he was throwing uh, excuses to saying that they've got other opponents they've got to face first. So, I mean, this this goes back to what we were saying last week, so it was fantastic um, storytelling from uh, this team. 
Yeah, the, the sort of oddball couple, isn't it? I keep referring to, to them as, I guess. Um, Road Warriors in 96 in WCW. Blue spikes or blue shoulder pads with the spikes as opposed to the red. What? How, how do you feel about the Road Warriors in general, first of all, Danny? Obviously, you saw them... Well, you saw Animal at a much later date in in sort of early two thousands wrestling on SmackDown. I, I'm, I know for a while you've gone back and watched Legion of Doom stuff from the early nineties, and maybe some Road Warrior stuff from the eighties. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the Legion of Doom here, and then in general as a tag team? Here, um, this was actually really refreshing to see them because I'd never seen them with the uh, blue shoulder pads, back pads. Um, and in general, I mean, they are the, I think they're the greatest tag team of all time. They was listed on so many like different articles and things like that. They are very successful and it's just a shame that both are not here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big road warriors fan. I mean, Mr. Mags, our good friend, he'll agree with you being the best tag team of all time because he is a huge Legion of Doom mark. I, I, I don't rate them as the best of all time. I think there's several tag teams that are, that are better than them. But the sound of the crowd when their music hits and they come out and just batter the crap out of somebody for 10 minutes, that's that's just great to watch. Oh, that always is. I mean, um, Animal never lost that all the way up to his uh, final few matches. And he wrestled in TNA and he still had that magic as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Very memorable team. Very memorable team. Uh, after our interview with Orndorff that we've already discussed, we have flying Brian Pillman representing the Four Horsemen, and he has taken on Eddie Guerrero. And I was quite looking forward to this because I thought these are two guys who can go, two guys of not exact same size, but they're in the same ballpark, I guess. And I thought this is going to be good. But it kind of ended up being a little stop-start, a little bit messy, because Pillman seemed more interested in... I suppose pushing and promoting this this loose cannon gimmick, this new this character of his, as opposed to actually wrestling in the match. Uh, ultimately, Pillman does win the contest. He tries to win at one stage with his feet on the ropes, that doesn't work, and then eventually he does win, getting a handful of tights to get the three count. But the biggest thing to come from this match is Bobby Heenan and what happens there. Uh, t- talk us through that, Danny, if, if you noticed what happened there. Just before we began recording, I said to Sai, there was one moment in this pay-per-view that just makes me fell in love with this uh, show. And this is it. Um, I've seen this clip. I never knew it was on this show. The fact where Brian Pillman uh, tries to take Bobby Heenan's jacket and Bobby Heenan just goes, what the fuck are you doing? And just completely. (laughs) And the biggest thing that I loved about it, it was not edited off of the WWE Network. This no. is still, I mean, I, I just loved every moment of this. I've wrote down every part of it. It's like from Bobby Heenan walking off and seemingly just almost quitting WWE and then thinking better and turning around and apologizing. All of it was just gravy, Sai. What did you think of this um, this Bobby Heenan shoot almost? Well, it, it, it was a shoot. It was, it was, it was a legitimate reaction. Uh, Heenan, one of the main reasons he left the WWF to join WCW was because he would be an employee as opposed to, I don't know what they call them. Um, um, contractors. Yeah. Private contractor. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. He would have been a national employee for WCW, 
So that would have meant he gets the perks of that, like healthcare, insurance, and so on. Now, Heenan had quite quite serious neck issues. And he was he was very concerned about any issues or bumps or anything like that with his neck because it used to cause him so much trouble. He used to cause him so much grief. And anything, as we all know, especially as wrestling fans, anything to do with your neck is quite a serious situation. So this is before he's had the opportunity to have it operated on or have somebody look at it. So when Pillman comes over and grabs him, he doesn't know this is going to happen, first of all. He's already in a bit of pain. He's panicking about what's going to happen. Is he going to get hurt? So yeah, that reaction was, you know, the whole scenario was a legitimate, a legitimate shoot. I mean, Pillman didn't tell anyone he was going to do that. Pillman probably didn't know he was going to do that until he did it, to be fair to him. So, I mean, you see it later on as well. I think it's the main event. Uh, Heenan again jumps up and wanders off a little bit because somebody gets a bit close. So he's obviously flustered here. And to be honest, I, I side with Bobby Heenan. I- I'm all about people doing their best to promote their gimmick. I'm all about people doing what they can to get their character over. Uh, and I mean, here with, with Pillman, he's, he's, he's the loose cannon. He's crazy. He, anything can happen. The fact that he and Bischoff kind of know certain things are going to happen and nobody else does adds a sort of reality aspect to people's reactions. However, in this scenario, when you're talking about somebody's health and you're talking about somebody who is, well, they've been in the wrestling business for decades. And it, and it is a scripted show. It's a predetermined scripted show. Something like that happens. I I, I can see why Heenan was, was really pissed off. Yeah. I mean, that, there's a fantastic point. It was like, as funny as this is, it's also very serious. And Bobby Heenan, as you said, he was flustered. He, I mean, but you have to give him credit. As soon as he put that headset back on, he was straight back into character. And he even said that he wants Brian Pillman to win. So he's back to being a heel. And he wasn't yeah. uh, any bias or anything like that. Yeah, very true. Uh, he's just absolutely fantastic, isn't he? Heenan in any role. I mean, he was brilliant when he was a comedy wrestler towards the end of his actual wrestling days. He, he was superb as as a manager uh, and as a commentator. I'm a big fan as well. Just an absolute legend. Oh yeah, uh, big fan. We then get Eric Bischoff once again. He is introducing Hogan, Savage, and Kevin Green, and they all come out to Hogan's music because, of course, they do. Because why not? I mean, Savage is the world champion, but you know, let's forget about all that. Kevin Green does a really good Randy Savage impression. <laughs> he does. Um, he tried his best, didn't he? He did. But yeah, you're, you're right. Um, that's the one thing I noticed about Eric Bischoff here is like he bit up um, Macho Man and said, oh, Macho Man just won the world title. But here's the trio. And then he introduced Hulk Hogan first, like Hulk yeah. Hogan was the world champion. And then obviously, as you said, they came out to Hulk Hogan's music and it was like, Oh man, this again. So this has mm. to be leading somewhere, so si. Yeah, I mean ultimately I think it is just because Hogan is the money man. Hogan is the guy that they see as being their main star. And that's why he gets the special treatment. But it doesn't help anyone. We spoke about it last week on Nitro Nights, didn't we? Didn't we? It just doesn't help anyone else around you. And that's kind of why we're seeing Hogan booed in certain areas now, I think. But there we go. I mean, there's talk of Miss Elizabeth here. And we start talking about who's going to take her out after the matches. Who's going to take her out. And then 
and, and then Hogan says, oh, she's more than you can handle. We know that, don't we? Talking to Savage. Ooh. What the hell is going on? This is crazy. Oh, it just didn't age well. It just does not age well. It just seemed, again, another Hogan, Savage, rambling promo. I don't quite... Other than getting Kevin Green out there to wave to the crowd, I don't quite understand the point of this segment. I guess it was to get people just to stay tuning in because um, they'll say, oh, the real main event's coming up later, guys. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Oh, well, okay. Uh, We get a tag match up next. We have the tag team champions, Sting and Luger, and they are defending their titles against the Blue Bloods, which are Bobby Eaton and Stephen Regal, William Regal, whichever you want to call him. Now, this is interesting. Because the dark match on this show before the paper, well, not, I keep going to say pay per view, it's not a pay per view, I do apologize. The dark match on this show before the TV broadcast, Regal wrestled him and Regal faced Chris Benoit. Now, first of all, I'd like to have seen that match, but secondly, Regal actually picked up a knee injury in this dark match. So I think that explains why we get quite a lot of stalling in this match. It seems to be quite. It seems to be that we don't get a lot going on. There's a lot of comedy stalling. And I mean, Regal is fantastic. The comedy where he does his facials, the whole um, flexing of his bicep, but then pushing it up with his finger to make it look bigger and so on. And then Sting and Luger flexing their actual muscles to Regal. And absolutely brilliant comedy work. It's, it's so good. But actual wrestling, we don't see masses of. And I wonder if that is because Regal was struggling with his knee injury. He picked up. I mean, what we're talking here, an hour or so beforehand. Yeah, I completely see that. It was like where that I would have uh, rather have seen that Chris Benoit um, William Regal match as well. So <laughs> to be honest, but mm. um, you have to give Lex credit a lot of credit during this match. He just he had his working boots on and he bumped all over the ring for William Regal here or Stephen Regal. He just yeah. like he did a lot of bumping. Um, what I liked most about this match was the story where Sting couldn't get, seem to get the tag, and then when he finally did get that tag, it was a massive um, crowd reaction. And yeah, I actually enjoyed this match a lot. I know it could have been better, but I enjoyed the story of this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tag wrestling done well. You know, the, the heels are on top for a while. And and you you're wanting the babyface to tag in his partner, and you get the teases of he, he nearly makes the tag, and then something cuts him off, so the crowd get they get lifted and they drop back down again, and then you get the hot tag, and everyone goes crazy, and then eventually Sting wins via submission with, with, with the Scorpion Deathlock. It's tag wrestling done well. It's a very simple formula, but but it's a simple formula that is used over and over again, purely because it works. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Obviously. No, even today it's not broken. And I loved how Bobby Eaton accidentally uh, hit, hit a clothesline on Regal. It was like a, a Free Stooges finish, wasn't it? And then Sting, as you said, <laughs> got the Scorpion death lock and then uh, won quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I mean, again, I wonder if that's to do, well, first of all, with time, because they've only got a certain amount of television time and lots of adverts to fit in and so on. And we've still got to go back and forth to that bloody chapel whenever 47 times, it seems. Uh, And also, we've got Regal's injury. So I wonder if that was why it kind of happened so quick. But I think the way this match was put together, whether it was due to the injury or not, I think it worked well because you're never really believing that Regal and Eaton are going to beat Sting and Luger here. 
but they do enough to make you you know to make you react when sting gets the tag and there's plenty of comedy from the heels as well so yeah this was really entertaining for me yeah and i think the only thing i would have added to this match is have a brief cameo of the um road warriors standing maybe at the top at the top of the stage and saying we're next or something like that yeah yeah i get that i suppose one other thing missing potentially and this is just a personal selfish standpoint bobby eaton goes to the top rope hits an amazing looking knee drop i wished it was that leg drop he does from the top rope though because that is a thing of beauty but that's just a, that's just me being nitpicky that is that's a <laughs> no that is a is a brilliant leg drop knee drop Indeed, indeed. Okay. We then have more from uh, more from the chapel, don't we? Parker has finally arrived. Harlem Heat are there hanging around. Uh Sherry arrives. Now I don't know for certain. I can't say, and I don't want to talk ill of the dead or make accusations or whatever. But all I'm gonna do is put forward my opinions from what I have seen this afternoon. Sherry's off her tits, isn't she? hundred percent knew you was going there, so um, completely. Uh, but ignoring that, I loved the uh, the segments of the Whitechapel going from here onwards because um, I think it was during this one where uh, Mean Gene says that he's going to walk Sherry down the aisle because he'd known her for so long and he'd known her from the AWA days, like mm. ten years before this. And um, I think that made a lot of sense, but unfortunately yeah you could definitely tell she was steamed yeah i mean we don't obviously we don't know whether it was drink drug whatever it may want to be but she was definitely shall we say under the influence of, of something that's how i read it anyway either that or she's a fantastic actress one way or the other <laughs> yeah well if, if you had to marry um rob parker i think you'd be drinking as well so <laughs> uh, yeah very true <laughs> uh we also find out here that parker is a bit skinned he's gambled away all of his money so he's trying to scav 30 or 50 dollars depending on who he's asking to pay to be able to use the chapel otherwise they have to get married outside in the little window bit and he's asked mean gene for a loan and all sorts i mean that was fairly comical but again a lot of it gets lost because there's no real structure to this it's not very well produced that everyone seems to be talking over each other especially when the likes of uh, dick slater and bunkhouse buck get involved everyone there's a lot of voices at once and i struggle then to to pick out one person to listen to or one one person's lines or what, whatever because there's so many voices going on at once and it just ends up becoming a bit of a mess for me yeah i can see that as well it was like the cab driver had more promo time than macho man did didn't he yeah uh uh, something that i did enjoy a great deal was the next moment here back in the arena eric bischoff is with brian pillman pillman comes out looking just crazy that mop of hair that cane he's got some bright tie-dye kind of trousers on and he's got a t-shirt with like part of it ripped out so his his peck his nipple and whatnot are sticking through it as well it's just an incredibly crazy look he threatens to say the seven words that are banned from broadcast television to which Bischoff starts reacting worried about and so on starts talking about respect a great deal. And it's obvious that his whole, his whole character is not even 
the bosses behind the scenes know what I'm going to do. And it's really starting to take shape. It's re- you can really see this loose cannon gimmick forming in front of our eyes, can't you? Yeah, you really can. And it was like, you could definitely see Eric Bischoff just nervous, just thinking, oh my God, what's he going to say now? What's he going to say? I better end this interview. But then he also threatens um, Brian Pillman as well, saying that he'll cut him off the air. And mm. so does Eric Bischoff have more power than uh, he says he does? Well, hmm. No, I mean at, at this point it's common knowledge in the dirt sheets, isn't it? Bischoff is is the guy in charge, of course. But yeah, it's uh, it is interesting the whole Pillman thing. Obviously, we know where it goes. Of course, we do. But it's it's fascinating seeing that character develop in front of our eyes with the horseman and so on as well. But what comes next, I imagine, is something that brought a smile to your face because it's a wrestling match with guest commentator Mike Tanay. Absolutely. I love this match. Uh, we've got Psychosis versus Conan for the Mexican Heavyweight Championship, but still, they weren't clear on which promotion this was, this title belt was. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they're just referring to it as the Mexican title to not you got to remember that a lot of a lot of stuff WCW and WWE do, they work on the assumption that we're stupid. They work on the assumption that all the fans are morons. So they'll say, this guy is the Japanese champion, as opposed to this guy is the IWGP world title holder or whatever. Now, Conan here is the Mexican champion because it's easier for people to understand in their eyes than saying Conan is the, the AAA champion. Because then they've got to explain what Triple A... That's how I read it anyway. But Conan comes out with the title and Triple A written across his arse on his tights anyway. So (laughs) So it's pointless. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, It's intriguing to me how, with this match, Psychosis versus Conan... I mean, first of all, Conan, he looks incredible when he's took his cape off when he first comes out he looks he looks ridiculous but when he took his cape off he looks incredible this guy is 100 percent head to toe a star just by the look of him psychosis looks as psychosis does just batshit crazy with loads of hair that crazy mask and all sorts mike today is doing his best to fill in for everybody and explain what's going on and who these people are and so on however that's for the people at home in the arena there is no crowd reaction at the beginning because they have no idea who these people are. Yeah, that was the unfortunate part of this. Um, you're completely right about Conan because I'd only seen him wrestle in like a vest and like jeans and things like that. Um, he just looked like a star, a mega star here. Mm. Yeah, he really did. He really did. Um, there's a fast start though, and I think they do well here, Conan and Psychosis, because they know they haven't got long. Because obviously we've you know the Mexican world title is nowhere near as important as drunk Sherry marrying you know some guy who runs KFC, um, so they know they've not got long. So there's no crowd reaction to begin with. So they go straight off the bat, really fast start, arm drags coming off the top rope, lots of stuff going on, and and people start to get into the match. Then the crowd reaction, whereas it's not at any stage huge. They do manage to drag some people in to what they're trying to do, I think, Danny. Yeah, they do. And there's a lot of drop kicks thrown as well by Psychosis. Um, this is the unfortunate part of it, size. Like, just when they get them going, they have to end the match quickly because we have to get back to the wedding, don't we? Oh, uh, yeah. 
I, a couple of things I want to touch upon. We have not just a lot of uh, arm drags and so on. There's some, some quite interesting submission holds here that Mike Tanay seems to be the only person who's aware of what they're called. So well done, Mike Tanay. Um, we get an incredible DDT from Conan. That looks superb. Uh, and the German suplexes, Conan, obviously there was one from the ropes, which was spectacular, but the ones just ordinary German suplexes on the mat, there was a kind of flatness to them. They didn't really go up and then back down like we see a lot of guys doing. They just kind of almost took them over in more of a sort of a flat line from their standing position to the to the canvas. And I thought they looked incredible as well. Yeah, and he could always pull them off, even in his later career. He'd always do those rolling... Um, um, back uh, suplexes and things like that. Mm, okay. I mean, you say about his later career and so on. It, I must, I, it sounds like you've seen more Conan matches than I, and that's not difficult because I've not seen very many. But no, I'm just, I'm just always uh, used to seeing him wrestle in uh, in uh, TNA and things like that when he was just fully clothed and things. So this was completely different. Right. Okay. Okay. Conan wins the match via submission with what. <laughs> They call it a standing figure four, but then Mike Tanay explains further that obviously the arms are in the hold as well, and it's referred to as the zip lock. Is this something you've seen him use in TNA as well, or is this this new to you? Because I don't think I've seen this before. No, I've never seen this either. Um, this was completely new, and I, I like that um, name, Ziploc, because it's like a bag, isn't it? Like a Ziploc bag. Um, I think that was quite unique as well, and I was glad that, to see that he used it um, on this uh, particular television show. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We go back to the chapel. Parker is still needing money. Uh, eventually we get the, the scene of Sherry coming out in her wedding dress, which for some reason is bright red. I don't quite grasp that one. She's got a weird kind of collar thing behind her head that's red as well that just made me think of Ming the Merciless from the Flash Gordon film. Yeah, it really did look like um, an evil superhero or supervillain, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, I guess that was part of her uh, character at this point because he wasn't exactly a traditionalist. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Harlem Heat are there to see the wedding. They're not happy that it's that it's going forward. Um, Disco Inferno decides to jump in front of Sherry and Jean as they're walking through the car park to, to the wedding window. I, get, I can't believe these words coming out of my mouth. This is ridiculous. And, and Disco Inferno has a little bit of a dance and says, I told you I'd dance at your wedding and so on. Dick Slater is crying. He's getting emotional because obviously the occasion is too much for him. Um, and then we get this thing about Parker was on the phone earlier. And then Sherry was like, well, he wasn't talking to me. And Gene was saying, well, it sounded like he was talking to his girlfriend, but it wasn't Sherry. And then Medusa comes running out of his caravan and just attacks Sherry and throws her in the wedding cake. And there's a bit of a scrap and Booker T quite clearly on camera starts laughing and it's just a big mess. So, I mean, first of all, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Now we've got to the end of the, the wedding segments. And secondly, here's Medusa. The first time we've seen her, since Nitro, when she dropped the belt in the bin. I totally forgot about her. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, I love this uh, part of it because it's like, it's, it goes with tradition. There's never been a successful wrestling wedding, has there? There's always has to be some sort of shenanigans or things like that or somebody running in. Um, Medusa running in and attacking. I'm with you, sir. This was the, this was the first time we'd seen her, but I liked it because... It was like that's the last person you would have expected to see because we haven't seen him for about I'd say about six or eight weeks now. It's been that long, um, and yeah, and they had a fun little brawl and uh, actually a messy, quite a messy brawl, wasn't it? There was cake involved mm. and all the food was spilled all over the floor. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I I don't get it with Parker, Colonel Robert. Um, first of all, I don't get it with Colonel Robert Parker as a manager. Okay, uh, he was a big part of the Hollywood Blondes tag team splitting up in '93, I want to say, because he tempts uh, stunning Steve Austin away from Pillman uh, and breaks that team up. I didn't get Colonel Robert Parker then. I don't get Colonel Robert Parker in the moments we've seen him on Nitro, especially with his tag team that seemed to be a throwback to the early '80s with Dick Slater and Bunkhouse. Bunkhouse, but I, I don't get that at all. It seems really out of place. But now I don't get Colonel Robert Parker because he's got Sherry and Medusa both fighting over him. What has this guy got that makes these women? Has he got some sort of super cologne or something? I don't know. What what is it? I have no idea. But uh, Medusa is his fire pie, as he said. Um, as it, but it was kind of like yeah. um, Medusa kept well. Alundra Blaze Medusa. She came to WW to uh, fight women and things like that. But she's involved in this kind of like EastEnders-esque storyline here. It's mm. not very not a very good start. But this segment as a, as a standalone, I really enjoyed. But unfortunately, and I guess um, uh, Sherry and Parker are not married then because there was no um, p- announcement of like, you may kiss the bride. No, this is true. This is true. Uh has all this just been to get Medusa in a feud with Sherry then? Is yeah. that is that the whole purpose of th- this whole thing with Sherry being distracted during Harlem Heat's matches? Uh, I mean, that did that play into them losing the title on one of those occasions? I or think so. Buck and, and D- Dick Slater losing the titles because Parker was distracted by Sherry? So we've had title changes involved. We've had the American males uh, and whatever else, Harlem Heat and all that involved. We've had numerous weeks of television. Then we've had this running storyline throughout this whole show. Has the whole point in all of that just been to get Sherry Martel and Medusa in a program? Because surely there's easier ways of doing this. You'd think so, Sai, but I, I tend to agree with you there. It's like... Uh, all of this maybe was to do was to get uh, Medusa in a feud with uh, Sherry Martel because Eric Bischoff's a massive AWA fan and he's a massive fan of his time there. And these two had a really, really good series of matches in AWA that were very quite revolutionary for that time. Hmm. Okay. Ah, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Ah, we come to our main event. Michael Buffer is there to make the introductions. So that's more money thrown down the freaking drain um <laughs> we have rick flair and the giant so the horseman and the dungeon of doom teaming up to face the team of 
Macho Man Randy Savage, who is your world champion. Remember that because they try really, really hard to hide that fact. And the guy they wish was their world champion, Hulk Hogan. Miss Elizabeth comes out and she is announced as uh, it's a big surprise. Michael Buffer says she's been missing for, and I quote, more than half a decade. That's just, just say it's five years. That's all you need. More than, <laughs> I know you're trying to make it sound bigger than it is, but more than half a decade, that sounded really wanky, didn't it? It really did. And speaking of sounding really wanky, did you hear what Michael Buffer said about the giant during his intro? No, go on. Michael Buffer said, "The giant. This is the man who defied death at Halloween Havoc." <laughs> uh, well, I suppose he did. I suppose he did. We were wondering how he wasn't dead when we did our uh, our review of Halloween Havoc. So, yeah, I mean, he was. He owned his money that night. Buffer did. He really did yeah. say this. Yeah, well, to be fair, I, I don't know if he ever actually earned that money. I think he was very, very fortunate with what they paid him. To be fair. Yeah, <laughs> let's go with that. But to this day, he's so thankful for these WWE years. He often mentions it on Twitter and uh, just says like he was so happy to have worked there. I bet he was. Bought him a freaking boat and a second home, I expect. You know, <laughs> I'd be grateful. <laughs> oh, <was>, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we get... <sighs> There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of moving parts in this tag match. First of all, there's the, the huge personalities of Hogan, Savage, and Flair. And they are. They are massive, over-the-top characters. And then we've got the giant, who is a, he is a huge personality in a different way. He's a, he's a giant man. And those are a lot of moving parts there. We've got Jimmy Hart bouncing around like some kind of multicolored lemming on the outside being a nuisance. We've got Miss Elizabeth there. We've got other ladies hanging around at some point as well kevin green is out as well There's, it seems like they're throwing everything against the wall here and seeing what sticks danny they are and there was one thing that made me really laugh um did you see hulk hogan's titantron no all the titantron was was hulk hogan beating up vader all for for about oh. 30 seconds and just keep replaying it and replaying it i really want to go back and watch that <laughs> so by this point Vader's debuted in the, yes he has because he va- debuted in the Raw Rumble didn't he in '96. But that's uh, interesting because we've I forgot to say this during the um, uh, Mister Wonderful interview, but Mister Wonderful referenced beating up Vader as well. Okay, so what are we on here? This is what what do we say? It was the twenty third? Yeah, twenty third of January. Okay, so what would the date of the Rumble have been? It's always sort of mid to late January, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, Vader's debut was at the rumble am i right in saying that yes it was okay so for the wwf this was a big deal this was their new super heel who was going to be battling the likes of Shawn michaels for the world title and so on in a few months time so by all north saying that in his interview and then that titletron i wonder if that was a sneaky little way of saying oh yeah that guy's gone to the wwf they're making him a big deal but over here he was nothing which isn't true. We all know that's not true, but maybe it was another attempt by one side of the Monday Night Wars, because they were both at it, to kind of downplay the competition, maybe? It was, Si. I could confirm that. You you uh, very, very high wrestling IQ, man, you. <laughs> because um, the Royal Rumble was the 21st of January, and here we are two days later. Ah, uh, Okay. Interesting. So you're completely bang on there, sir. Great observation. I'll tell you what, that is some real 
I mean, it's petty. Of course it's petty, but both sides of the war were petty. But this was, this is quite clever. Their new star, and they're saying, oh yeah, this old guy who's currently on our injured list beat Vader up for real. And oh, look at the Titatron here. This guy, Hogan, who you're running skits every week, mocking and calling old. Here's a video of him giving Vader a pasting as well. And that's your new signing. It's it's quite yeah. a clever little way of doing things, I think. It really is, and I just I just pointed I just wrote that down last night as I watched this. As, as I thought it was just funny that they just kept it on there, but now they had there's a real story behind this, and I'm really excited to dig into it. Hmm. I mean, obviously we're 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 guessing that this is the scenario. We might be giving them far more credit than they deserve, and it might have just been an absolute potluck fluke that this occurred. You know. <laughs> no, but the dates really line up well. Um, mm. probably too much uh, to just be a coincidence maybe yeah maybe be interesting to see if uh, there's any podcasts or interviews with the likes of Eric Bischoff or whoever out there talking about this I don't know if it'd be something that anyone would ever bring up to be honest maybe that's something we can message him about and see if he replies I don't know but anyway there's a lot of stuff with Kevin Green in this match isn't there they're, they're really sort of they get him in the ring a few times and flare is getting agitated by his presence. And I mean, Flair does great. Flair, Flair sells the whole Kevin Green situation really well. And it's difficult for me because Kevin Green being there is a big deal. He's this is this is a Tuesday night. He's playing in the Super Bowl that coming Sunday. So him being in in WCW in WCW on their television program around their main event days before one of the biggest sporting occasions in well in the world now is a massive deal for WCW. So I appreciate yeah. that they got to try and get him on the screen, but it just kind of feels like there's not enough spotlight to go around. Flair obviously is going to dominate a lot of the action because he's the more experienced bad guy. So he can make Kevin green look good with, with Flair's reactions. We speak quite often about how Flair does so well in making his opponents look good and so on. Not that Kevin Green is wrestling here, but he's he's selling for Green's presence, I guess. You then got Hogan, who is a huge personality, who's dominating the spotlight. Kevin Green, of course, is getting a lot of camera time because it's Kevin Green. And like I said, it's a big deal him being there. So to me, it just kind of feels like your world champion just misses out again. Yeah. It really does. That's what I wrote down on here. It said, um, Macho Man just feels unimportant at this point. I mean, this felt like Hulk Hogan could have come out here on his own with Kevin Green as a manager. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a few moments from the match, I suppose we should actually cover that, that there was a little bit of wrestling during this. Uh, Flair tries his flip in the corner and ends up effectively sitting on top of a cameraman at one stage. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that cameraman had never seen a Ric Flair match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Hogan at one stage tags in to face the giant. The crowd are really excited to see this face-off between the, the giant and Hogan, which makes me think that we had a conversation, didn't we, last week about how Hogan killing off the Dungeon of Doom one guy at a time doesn't leave the baby faces in WCW anyone to really beat. Perhaps there is still money or excitement in Hogan giant again, because we haven't seen it since, since Halloween Havoc and all the monster truck nonsense. So perhaps there is some interest in that. I can't think of a main event in WCW that 
uh, other than Hogan Savage, which we're not going to get. But I can't think of a main event with regards to WCW and and their world title picture that is as intriguing as the Giant and Hogan at the moment. Yeah, I'm the same as you because um, Hulk Hogan was really trying to get the Giant over, even uh, failing to pick him up for a body slam early on in the match and uh, throughout the match as well, and then laying uh, the Giant body slam Hulk Hogan. But did you notice um, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan reference WrestleMania three quite a few times, didn't they? Yeah, and of course Heenan was Andre the Giant's manager on that occasion. So that was quite good. And the way he Heenan explained, even year, all these years later, he's there saying, oh, he didn't really body slam him. And it was a long count by the rock or, or whatever. And he, even now he's explaining it away. And he's like, oh, but that's all ancient history now. Even though he has just obviously dragged it all up himself. I thought it was just classic Heenan. It really was, wasn't it? <laughs> it's brilliant stuff. Um, when Hogan does tag in to face the giant, though, I find it all quite messy. There's a few timing issues. Uh, there's a few moments where it looked like Hogan or the giant would send the other into the turnbuckles. And then they would be almost the one, the one guy would be waiting for the, the other to follow them in. Whereas that, that individual would be waiting for his opponents to come out to the turnbuckles to them. And they kind of had a few funny sort of only for a second or two, but for somebody who watches a lot of wrestling, that second or two can really see like a sort of uh, like a sort of glitch in what you in, in how fluid the matches that you're watching. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Glitch is kind of like, oh man, that shouldn't have happened before. Um, I think that, that it was very smart of them putting uh, Macho Man and Ric Flair uh, opening this match and then having the majority of this and having Hulk Hogan and the Giant having the big spots. I think that was a very it was very well laid out. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Again, it depends on where you're going for me. I'm always trying to think a few steps down the road because if, if you think about what you're doing there and then, I mean, as, as we will see with WCW going forward, but if you think about what you're doing there and then, you kind of trash your own future for yourself. As again, we were talking about last week, Hogan running through all the heels, who's left for the baby faces to beat, and we're scratching around for a main event. We've seen Hogan flare a lot. We've whatever, you know. So I'm trying to think of what goes on in the future. Now, in this instance, I don't think this helps Randy Savage at all because Hogan is the guy, as you said. Hogan and the Giant have got the big spots, so it looks like we're going to go Hogan Giant again. That's the only thing I can see them doing in the future. Now, for that to happen, I'm assuming the world title is going to be in the picture. Again, I, I, if I really sort of sat down and thought about it, I probably can remember what, what goes on. But just looking at it now at face value, having, having this conversation with you, I'm assuming Hogan Savage at some point, sorry, Hogan Giant at some point is going to happen and the title belt will be in the picture again. That's what I'm assuming. But Savage here is your world champion still. Savage versus the Giant is probably the only match they've got that, we've not really seen yet we've seen hogan giant and whereas yes there is still appeal to the masses it seems with the crowd reactions and so on savage versus giant is it, it feels it feels fresher to me but it really here, does yeah 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 here we've got though we've got savage taking the pin first of all uh and then after the match i mean we'll, we'll quickly get there we, we've got 
Ric Flair does a, a, a long, delayed vertical suplex. Hogan does his no-selling bullshit, jumps up and starts hulking up and all that. It's a bit of a mess. There are lots of other people are involved, lots of moving parts, as me and Danny said. Flair eventually pins Randy Savage with the use of a foreign object again. And then Kevin Green and Hogan clean house. We have the Zodiac, Brian Pillman. It's chaotic, but the whole Dungeon of Doom and the Horsemen don't enter which I think is quite telling when it comes to the horseman. There's no other horseman there. So I wonder if that's going to come into play. I'm not sure. But Kevin Green and Hogan, clean house. Your world champion is led on the floor face down whilst an NFL player and a guy who is not your world champion are standing tall in the spotlight. So if savage is to drop the belt well if savage is to drop the belt to anyone if savage is to drop the belt to hogan if he's to drop the belt to the giant if he's to drop it back to flair they're beating a nobody because savage to me in the last few weeks has been portrayed as that savage has been portrayed as second rate to hulk hogan every time we see him yeah it's such a shame for randy savage um I just, what can you do? I mean, I'm hoping to see the Giant versus Macho Man too. And um, an interesting note I found during this was Tony Schiavone um, plugging Child's Play uh, from 1980 (laughs) (laughs) and basically saying that Child's Play was more important than this match because they said, fans, if you've just tuned in to see Child's Play, just hang about just a little bit and we'll get this match over with and then Child's Play will be put straight on. But yeah, um, yeah that, I found that was a bit of a shame. It would be like the main event of WrestleMania and then somebody plugging a film coming on straight after. Just, yeah, not good. It's like when the football goes to extra time here in the UK, isn't it? And you get that little thing at the bottom. EastEnders will follow the conclusion of this match. <laughs> yeah, it just it just shits all over like the match. Like It's like, oh, wait, oh, Charles plays on. I can't wait to see that more than the end of this match. I mean, people are that desperate to see Charles play, go around the fucking video shop. You know, it's, <laughs> it's been out for years. Come on, you know. <laughs> An interesting note, though. Could this be where the WCW and Chucky slash Child's Play relationship happened? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they were sharing a broadcast channel and they crossed over from there, potentially. I don't think so, Danny. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's, that's kind of it, isn't it? We get told, you know, Nitro next week, we've got a Mongo McMichael interview. Uh, and and that's kind of it. We, we go off the air because obviously they're they're pressed for time because child's play is coming on. So that's kind of it, then, mate, isn't it for this clash of champions? Um, I'm going to be absolutely intrigued by this now when we do our woos and our O brothers, and then we give it our hit miss and middling to see what we both thought of this show after our conversation with each other. So we'll, we'll go woos and our O brothers, my friend. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, Woo! brother. Do you want to go first or second? I'll go first, sir. Okay, mate, you crack on. Okay, so for the woo, I mean, it was hard to uh, boil down this one, but it just had to be Bobby Heenan's and Brian Pillman's interaction because I sat here laughing at 12 o'clock at night, just just howling in laughter because I did not expect that this moment was on this broadcast. Um, yeah, that would be my woo yeah fair enough mate fair enough um i've got a couple that stand out to me uh the returns i guess so medusa returning 
is up there for me. Uh, Miss Elizabeth returning is up there for me. That's great. Kevin Green, whereas I don't like the spotlight not being on the world champion, he does well in this role. He looks comfy doing the interviews. He looks comfy when he got in the ring for the very minimal amount of time he was in there. But there's, you know, he looks half decent. He's, he's got a starting point, shall we say. But my 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 actual woo this week is going to be um, the performance of Bobby Heenan in general. I think the guy was superb. I, I, I can't single it out to one moment, but I think the guy on commentary was brilliant all the way through. And I want to give a shout out to Tony Schiavone as well, because he and Heenan really bounced off each other well. So to me, that was probably my my woo, mate. What about something negative then, Danny? What's your old brother? Unfortunately, it's going to be brief, but it's Hulk Hogan being Hulk Hogan this week. Um, just unfortunately, just, you know, just as you said, he's like, he, he's the dominant man. Well, it really should be Macho Man, but yeah. And also Macho Man taking the pin here as well. Um, unfortunate. Um, but mm. yeah, that would be mine. What's yours, sir? Well, first of all, you saying there about Matraman taking the pin. Yeah, that's a good point. Why couldn't Hogan have been the one? He's been hit with a foreign object. He's gotten out. He can argue, you didn't pin me clean. But even then, oh, no, no, M- you know, my shoulder's on the mat. Oh, no, I'm kicking out at two, brother. It don't it don't work for me, but there we go. There we go. Uh, my oh, brother, though, this week will come as, I suppose, very little surprise to anybody. It's all the wedding stuff, mate. That ain't for me. I appreciate some people may enjoy it. I appreciate to some it's entertaining. And good luck to those people. You know, if we all liked the same thing, the world would be a very boring place. For me, this is not what I put a wrestling show on for. So, and also the fact that Sherry looked a bit impaired. That's a, you know, that 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 wasn't cool to see. But yeah, all the wedding stuff, it it was just messy. I couldn't hear what people were saying because they were shouting so much and yeah, not not for me, my friend, not for me. That's cool, mate. I mean, everyone likes different things. So, I mean, um I think the biggest if I had to be critical on the wedding stuff, it was the audio, as you said as well, but mm. the audio combined of the, with this tape or um well this show combined with being outside, it didn't make for good audio. No, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, you're right. I, I just took it as I didn't like this. But the way you've explained that, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Ah, good shape. Good shape. Okay, then. So this is going to be interesting. Danny, hit miss or middling, my friend. Big hit uh, this week, so I would say. Really? Champions. Yeah. <laughs> I know there was a lot um, to be desired, shall we say. But I sat here just, um, this flew by for me uh, watching it. And I was just like, I think I even messaged you saying, this, you will enjoy this show, Sai. Um, how wrong I was. But yeah, uh, I really enjoyed um, Clash of the Champions. Yeah. How about you, mate? Oh, uh, it's definitely not a hit for me. It's definitely not. And again, you know, it's great that you find so much enjoyment in it. I love the, I love how positive you are. I'm just an, a cynical old man. I can't be that positive. <laughs> uh, I. It's literally teetering between a miss and really low end of the middle scale. I'm probably going to go really low end of the middle because Sin Medusa again was great. The Mexican title match, as they referred to it as, was good. Uh, Malenko, right, was decent as well. 
the, the regal comedy stuff was great. So there was enough there for it not to be a miss. But also there was a lot there that made me consider putting it as a miss. So yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go just scraped into a middle for me, mate. That's cold, mate. Okay, so there we go. Back to Nitro next week. We only have a few Nitros before we hit our next pay-per-view, which is Super Brawl. I wonder where we're going to go on the card for that one. Interesting stuff. But before we get there, Danny, you need to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and the shows and content you're involved in, please. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. And you can hear me here next week with the great Cy Powell, where we'll be talking about W Nitro. You got to stop it with all this great stuff, mate. It's, you know, you can carry on with everyone else, but it's, it's, it, I'm not worthy of that. I'll tell you that now. I just bundle through. It's my co hosts that make me a. Uh, make me do what i do as well as i do so but you can find me on twitter at sjp words and you can find well i suppose the network is the best thing for me to be pushing i guess people in the direction of and that's sjp world media where this show comes out on a thursday morning as well as the likes of uh, regularly scheduled hostilities and in the corner with yvonne josh and chuck with and with benny mac on in the corner looking at modern wwe older shows and so on really interesting shows last week looking at the SummerSlam predictions and thoughts on the vince mcmahon situation uh, we have chain wrestling as well coming out on the sjp world media network but if you want to get away from wrestling we also have uh, the doctor who pod the waiting room the quantum leap podcast is coming back very soon we have check-in at power palace which is me and my wife just sitting down for half hour to an hour and just talking about what's in the news, what's been going on in our lives every now and again. That's coming literally within the next week or so, if it's not out already by the time you hear this. Loads going on, loads going on over at SJP World Media. You can find that on Facebook and Twitter at SJP World Media. But most importantly, you can find this show, Nitro Nights, at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter. Check us a follow. Let us know your thoughts on WCW in 96. If you're watching along with us, etc. However you want to do, just let get in contact with the show and the network. And on that note, I want to say a huge thank you to our good buddies, Mill Chris and Total Stevo on Twitter, who have bought Nitro Nights t-shirts and have been showing them off, whether it's on YouTube videos or Millwall Chris was dropping his kids off at the airport, sporting the, sporting the uh, Nitro Nights t-shirt as well. On Honestly, it genuinely brings a smile to my face seeing this happen. So, yeah, that's awesome. Keep it up, lads. Keep it up. Danny, I want to say it's been a blast. Talking to you has been. Watching this show, not so much. Uh, See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) I'll speak to you next week, my friend. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.